Hi, thanks for joining me today on this walk out to our bog here at Lake Bemidji State Park. The walk's probably going to take us maybe 20 minutes to get from the park office to the beginning of the boardwalk. Then from the boardwalk out to the end is another 20 minutes. We're going to pick up our walk at the beginning of the second deck leading out into the bog. Just a few steps from there, you'll see a sign pointing out sphagnum moss. Now the sphagnum moss is what covers the bog. Think of it as a giant sponge. And as you walk out on this deck, you're walking out on top of a giant sponge. Literally, it's holding water. Here, the sponge is maybe only a foot or two thick. But by the time we get to the end of the boardwalk, it's going to be more like 10 feet thick. It's saturated with water. The moss itself has little pores that hold the water in place. Like I say, just like a sponge. But while it's holding that water, it's changing it. Think about this. If you've got a water softener at home, the water softener is a way of changing the pH of your home water system. That water softener takes hard water, or water with a lot of minerals, and lowers the pH, removes the minerals. That's basically what the bog is doing. As it holds the water, the moss, it lowers the pH. It actively removes a lot of the minerals and lowers the pH. Now it lowers the pH not just a little bit, but quite a bit. Typically an acid bog is going to have a pH of about 4.5. That's pretty acid. Now, it's not the caustic acid we think of when we think of battery acids. It's the acid similar to tomato juice, lemonade, those types of acids. You still can see the effect that they have on things. They can cause corrosion as well. Well, that's what makes one of the characteristics of a bog so unique, is that the moss, sphagnum moss, is changing the water pH and lowering it. So this is typical of an acid bog. Let's move on. We're going to take a few minutes and walk down the trail a bit. As we near the first bend, you're going to see that there's some signs with a variety of plants identified. Throughout the growing season, there's small stakes that are placed out along the boardwalk trail that identify the common plants that are in bloom. But here's a good example of the variety of plants that you can see in the spring and early summer. Some of them are orchids, cranberries. These are some of the more spectacular plants that bloom here in the bog. The bog begins to bloom usually by the end of May. We start seeing a variety of plants. One of the first to show up is the marsh marigold, and that covers a lot of the area, so it brings a lot of golden yellow to it. By late May, some of the orchids start to show up, such as the stemless lady slipper or dragon's mouth. Orchids make the bog kind of a special treat. Makes it great to visit the bog during the month of June when our state flower, the showy lady slipper, is in bloom. Take a quick look at some of the pictures and see what plants are in bloom during the early and mid part of the growing season. You'll also be able to learn a little bit about some of the plants. We're just passing the second bank of plant informational signs and 
this is a good spot to look in mid-June for some of our showy lady slippers. This spot off to the right has a cluster of them that in peak bloom will have maybe as many as two or three dozen blossoms really showing off. Think about this. A cluster of lady slippers like you see here may represent a plant that's over a hundred years old. That's as old as many of the trees that are here in the bog that we're passing. All right, let's keep on moving. So we go down along the trail. There's a variety of plants that can be seen. Everything from sedges, which look like grasses, to some more common things that you might find even in other woodland areas, like poison ivy. We're walking through an area that's known as a spruce tamarack bog. The sign here talks about the bog's canopy. The canopy being the taller trees that occur here. The black spruce and tamarack are the dominant trees. The black spruce is the one that really doesn't look like it's doing very well. It has just a little bit of growth on the very top of it. It's a very spindly tree. Yet when I measured some of these trees age years ago, I found that many of them were near a hundred or more years old. So even though they don't look very big, they are quite old. That's another characteristic of the bog. We talked about the acidity. Well, think about this. Bogs and pickles have something in common. Yes, the juice that we preserve the cucumbers in helps to keep the cucumber from decomposing. Well, the water that's down in the bog is acidic, and it too helps slow down or retard the decomposition of plant material. So that over time, what happens is, is the material accumulates and stores the nutrients in it, not releasing it easily to the plants around. In essence, when we look at these black spruce, we're seeing trees that are stunted because black spruce can grow quite well outside of the bog in wet areas and they'll be very full, but here in the bog they're just hanging on. Take a few minutes to read the sign and learn a little bit more about the bog's canopy. We're going to continue on our trail and walk down just up ahead. There's a little rest spot. People like to sit here for a moment or two and kind of reflect on what they've learned about the bog already. The sign that's here shows us that bogs are worldwide, yet Minnesota has a large distribution of them in our northern part. Right here we have a very small representation of the bog, maybe a three, four hundred acre piece. An hour or so north of us is Big Bog Recreation Area. There, there's over a million acres of continuous peatland, both in public, private, and state ownership. Big Bog Recreation Area is 9,000 acres of peatland and a mile-long boardwalk that stretches out into it. If you get the chance to get up there and take that walk, you're going to find it quite different than this boardwalk. Much more open, much different in its character. I encourage you to take that visit, especially if you're up here for a day or two. 
up here start to see some of the other plants that are common in the bog. One of them I like to look for in late May, early June is buckbean. Buckbean is a member of the gentian family. It's also quite characteristic of acid bogs. Up here on the right is a tall grass, Phragmites. Now Phragmites is a plant that's not typical of a bog and it's one that's starting to move in. Hopefully its numbers won't get so great that it'll start to choke out others. Some people refer to it as giant reed grass. Don't forget to read the sign about our insect-eating plants. They're quite a spectacular little show here. There's a few spots where you'll be able to see sundew and pitcher plant along the way. Again, look for the signs that point them out. For the sundew, you're going to have to get down on your hands and knees to really appreciate that because just standing there looking, you'll probably overlook the small delicate leaves and the small white flowers. Right here where the trail takes a sharp bend to the right, you'll see the sign for sundew off to the left, close to the water's edge. Now this water that's flowing under the deck in early spring actually connects the bog to Lake Bemidji. This bog, while not an open channel all the way, is slowly feeding into a couple of ponds lower down, Osprey and Sundew Pond. There's also trails that go out to there. Take the Fishhawk Trail and you'll get to the Sundew Pond or you'll get to Sundew Pond Overlook. There's a fun activity there for families to do looking for aquatic insects. In early spring after snow melt and heavy rains, you can really detect a, a bit of a flow. The water is accumulating right here and showing that it is headed down towards the lake behind you. As you look up you're going to see a much larger opening and this opens into what we call Big Bog Pond. Big Bog Pond is a small lake that's surrounded by tamarack, aspen, spruce, typical of this low area. This point here, we take a minute to talk about the water itself. The water here looks pretty clear. But think again about this example. You're going to make a bag, you're going to make a pot of tea. You put a tea bag in the water. As the water steeps with the tea bag in it, it begins to turn brown. Over time, it's a very dark brown. If you go out to the outlet of Bass Creek, which is along the lake shore here in the park, you're going to notice that the water is darker than the lake water. Generally the same thing happened to that water is that it's steeped in the bog. The plants, sphagnum moss and the leaves of tamarack, some of the other plants, have darkened the bog water to give it a very dark color. In fact, some places along the North Shore in the springtime you might see the rivers flowing and they look more like root beer than they do stream water. And that's because they're being fed by bog water. Now that doesn't hurt the water, it 
simply stains it. And it's characteristic of many of our northeastern streams and lakes because of their origin in our boglands. Continuing down the trail a little bit further, raven just passed overhead. They're fairly common out here in the bog, especially in the fall time when they're moving through. We'll hear them quite often. Other birds that we see in here here, one of the ones that's most sought after, the black-backed woodpecker. In years past, there's been a few nesting very close to the boardwalk and have been seen frequently by visitors. It's not always a guarantee you're going to see or hear these birds, but certainly be on the lookout because the bog is a unique spot for some sightings of unusual birds. A few years back, I had the chance to watch a couple of waxwings pass berries back and forth just on a lower branch of one of the spruce. It was a fun time to watch them as they shared their bounty back and forth in some of a courtship behavior. As you continue along this section of boardwalk, it makes a lot of zigs and zags. That was purposeful because in the early part of the growing season, May and June, there's a number of orchids that come up very close to the boardwalk's edge. We did our best to snake the boardwalk through this area without damaging the ecosystem or disturbing some of the orchids. So at different spots, look for the signs, especially for the stemless lady slipper and dragon's mouth orchid that occur in this section of boardwalk. Coming up on the fern sign, ferns, while not real common out here, certainly do show up in different spots. So watch for them. A couple of the common ferns are the marsh fern and the crested fern. There's a few oak ferns out here as well. They're kind of small and low to the ground. Not very tall, but in the fall they add a lot of color of their yellow and gold to the bog floor. Talking mostly about visiting the bog in June, which is the peak time from May to early July, but really any season is a good time to visit. A fall visit can bring a lot of different color especially from the tamarack as they turn golden late into September and early October. Ah, spied one of my favorite plants here, the pitcher plant. It's well marked right here at the corner. There's a sign. And if you look down into the leaf, you're going to see that there's water held inside the leaf. That's the trap. The leaf tricks insects into crawling down into the opening seeking nectar, but instead they end up falling into the water and drowning. Over time, their bodies are digested by the enzymes that are secreted by the leaves, and then nutrients are taken up. Now imagine that. This is a nutrient-poor area where the nutrients are trapped in the moss, but yet this plant has figured out a way to get an extra bit of nutrients out of the insects around. Quite a few of the examples of pitcher plants along this section of trail, maybe a dozen or so that you can find. The leaves form a rosette 
around the central part of the plant. And that's where the flower comes from. They flower in June, yet their stalk will last through the rest of the growing season. Typically I look for their flowers about the second to third week in June. Not a real spectacular flower, but very unique. Well worth looking for. Well, we're here at the end of the trail. There's a turnaround, kind of a circular part to the deck. Walk slowly around it, looking at the different things. You're going to find that there's bog rosemary, a few blueberries, some cranberries in spots, and dragon's mouth, pitcher plant. Boy, just a variety of things to see. And of course, looking out over the pond is another pretty sight. Now the pond itself is all contained by high land around it. There is no stream coming in, but it's a little deceptive when we talk about this bog being an acid bog. Certainly there's characteristics of it that make it almost textbook for describing an acid bog. Yet this lake here is fed by springs. The far north east corner of it, there are a few springs that seep in from the aquifer below and that makes the water not as acidic as some bogs would be. Now as the water gets into the mat, the bog mat, it becomes more acidic. So we've got examples of both acid loving plants or tolerant plants and those that are less tolerant like the cattails. The sign here talks about the bog's temperature. It's kind of interesting to think about the bog and its many different characteristics. The characteristic of being acidic, saturated with water, and it's often cold well into the growing season. The temperature of the air may be as high as 80, 85 degrees, yet the bog temperature down about a foot or so is still frozen. It may take until mid-June before the frost actually goes out of the bog and it opens up. These things combine to reduce the decomposition in the bog. One of the things we collect the moss for is our gardens. It provides some of the beneficial characteristics I've already described. When we put the moss down in our garden, peat moss, it absorbs water and holds moisture. So if you've got a sandy garden, it helps to keep your garden moist. It now begins to decompose and release the nutrients that were stored in it. So again, it adds to the richness of the soil and builds up the nutrients in the soil. But in the bog itself, when it stays in contact with the acidic waters, it remains trapped the nutrients stored in there and accumulate. Over thousands of years the bog has built up. So at this point where we are now there's probably eight feet of water under us. The value of bogs have been explored in many different ways. Not many years back it was realized that peatlands have been used for centuries as a source of energy, especially in Europe, 
where they simply cut the sod and burn it, much like coal. Minnesota looked at the potential of changing the peat into gas, converting it to natural gas, or peat gasification. Had a lot of promise in the early 70s when energy prices were high, but then when energy prices collapsed, the interest waned on exploring and harvesting the gas from peat. That was probably a good thing because it gave us time to look more closely at the other values of the peatland and also begin to wonder if using our vast peatlands for gas was the wisest use. Nowadays we're looking at preserving these peatlands, one for their intrinsic beauty and unique character, but also we have to realize that much of Minnesota's water quality is dependent on natural areas like this, the wetlands, the bogs, the peatlands. So by maintaining these natural areas in their original character, we can assure the water legacy that Minnesota is known for, its great lakes and streams. I appreciate you taking the time and joining me this afternoon on this walk along our boardwalk.